This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. The concept is to build up uh, diversified passive income streams to then hopefully one day replace uh, your income so that you can have more freedom and flexibility over what you do with your time. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Today, we have an awesome guest, Travis Watts. This person is just really smart, really good at what he does, and just really charismatic. I learned a lot. And like most episodes, taking a lot of notes, but there was just a lot of intangible stuff that hearing Travis talk and watching his gestures on the video that just he's a likable guy and you can see why he's really good at what he does. A little background on Travis uh, from a business standpoint is he is an investor and leader in the real estate industry and has been investing in real estate since 2009 in multifamily, single family and vacation rentals. Travis began investing with Ashcroft Capital several years ago and has taken part in more than 30% of the Ashcroft opportunities. Travis now dedicates his time to educating others in the world of investing and has made his mission to share passive investment strategies in order to help others achieve and maintain wealth in real estate. Sounds very similar to the purpose of the show. That's maybe why he's a great fit. The two things that stood out specifically from this episode were one, how Travis knew he was ready to leave his job. This is a question I hear quite often in, in cases of people thinking about leaving their W-2 to go into real estate full-time or their side hustle full-time, Travis had a really good approach to that that made a lot of sense uh, for me, but even just anyone I think that's listening will get, get a lot out of it. The second thing that stood out was how he took action to send Joe Fairless, uh, who is Ashcroft Capital, uh, a selfie video and start working for him directly. It was really interesting. Uh, some of you guys know my background. I love that sort of stuff. If you can be creative and take action, but he just recorded a selfie video, sent it to Joe, and that's how he got started working with Ashcroft. But I want you guys to listen in closely because it wasn't exactly uh, what I thought it was going to be from the beginning. So just a really cool story there about taking massive action, being a little different and creative, and it leading to a life-changing opportunity. Today's tangible tip is OneNote for note-taking. This was a game changer for me a couple of years ago. I think I started with OneNote in 2016. It's a note-taking app. There's a couple others out there. Some of you guys may have heard of Evernote, uh, even Google Sheets people use. A um, couple others that I've seen or heard. Notion is another one. But OneNote for me had a lot of differentiators. And the reason I liked it mainly was because um, it tied in with Outlook. That was like the biggest thing for me. I would be able to just send sheets quickly. Um, but if you're not an Outlook user, that's okay. Because there's tons of other features that I like and use from it as far as to-do lists, organizing, 
calls, meetings, every single thing in the app is searchable. So no matter when you wrote it or when it's from, you can find it pretty much instantly. It's very quick, uh, better than some of the other note-taking apps I found. And they have a sticky note feature that you can use just when you're on the go or when you're on your computer. Uh, it's really just been instrumental for me. It also has awesome tie-ins with other Microsoft products, as you can imagine, other than Outlook, such as Excel or PowerPoint, where you can basically just use OneNote to house or store documents or notes that you're putting together for a presentation and use it almost like a file system, uh, much better than some of the other ones I've seen. So more or less, uh, it's really helped me out in my business stay organized and just general sales and real estate stuff. I wouldn't probably be able to go on without it. Uh, I don't really take any paper notes, but for me, it's just made finding things much easier. So that's today's tangible tip. Without any further ado, let's get into today's episode with Travis Watts. All right, Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, excited to dig into a lot of topics with you today, uh, especially just after checking, checking your stuff out lately and a lot more of the content that you've been putting out personally and then for Ashcroft. But a uh, really cool story I think will resonate with a lot of people that are uh, this listenership as far as, you know, trying to figure out how to get started. Do you go active? Do you do, do passive investing? So um, yeah, just for those that don't know, would love to just kind of dig back into the, the beginnings for you, maybe what your first deal or first exposure to this was, and then go from there, how it got you where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Happy to cover it. So the story really starts back in high school where I was visiting my dad one summer. Uh, my parents have split and he's a big garage sailor, very <laughs> frugal guy. And uh, he knew that I love reading and it was the summer and maybe I was a little bored. So he got me a book uh, called Rich Dad Prophecy. So a lot of people you hear all the time get started by Rich Dad, Poor Dad. This was Rich Dad Prophecy. So at that time, when I read it, that was my first eye-opening to the world of investing and real estate and the stock market and, and this whole topic um, started to unfold in, in my head. And all that book really, you know, left me with was we're going to have a big stock market collapse at some point and you better not be in the stock market. That's really it. No practical takeaways there. And this was in uh, 2005, 2006, maybe. So it was actually right before uh, kind of the, the last great recession, right? So I did have some money in stocks, very little, but I decided just to sell and go into cash just because I didn't know what I didn't know, but I was scared enough to take some kind of action. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in cash as the meltdown kind of happens. I'm progressing through college. And as I get out of college, um, you know, real estate was on sale. This was 2009. So, you know, the, the first home I bought, I was 20. And, um, you know, a few years prior, it had sold for, I don't know, 165 grand or something. And I picked it up for 95. So uh, it was just a, a, a combination of having a little bit of liquidity, uh, needing a place to live anyway, didn't really know what I was going to do with it. So I moved in as an owner occupant just to live there, ended up house hacking, renting the spare bedroom out. Um, that kind of, you know, kept the wheels turning and the motivation going. As I could see, I'm almost living for free right now. My tenants paying my mortgage kind of thing. Uh, later ended up making that a full-time rental, got into fix and flips, got into vacation rentals, just did a whole bunch of active, hands-on, single family real estate models. 
at the same time, I was kind of doing, doing the grind, doing the hustle. <laughs> I had an oil field job where I was working 14-hour days, 98 hours per week, away from home. I ended up working overseas in the Middle East. And so I, I was having less and less and less spare time as I was trying to acquire more and more and more properties. And that was just a, a bad combination, right? So I kind of hit, you know, rock bottom, so to speak, around 2015. And I thought, this is not a scalable model. This requires way too much of my time commitment. And I need to make a choice here. I've got to leave, you know, a high paying job, or I've got to switch my investment model to doing something differently. So uh, the first thing I did was I, I went back to the uh, drawing board. I listened to podcasts, books, mentors, you know, and I found out about real estate syndications. So I found out how to become truly a passive investor, someone who's actually hands off in the business in terms of investing. And I was a little nervous, a little skeptical, but I got started doing just one syndication and then two and then three. And that's led us up to today. I've done about 30 uh, syndication deals and I'm a full-time uh, LP, limited partner, uh, passive investor. So I sold all my single family homes. I don't do anything active anymore, nor do I have the intention of ever doing that or doing my own deals. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. You know, I talk a lot about time freedom, you know, and that's what passive income um, can provide, you know, potentially if you can build up enough passive income streams that basically it's not really about money, it's about freeing up your time. And so that's kind of my story. I was able to leave an oil field job I really didn't like where it was really wearing on me, <laughs> both you know physically and mentally. And uh, it allowed me to pursue some work that was more meaningful. Um, so I started working for syndication groups, which led me to work with Ashcroft Capital, who I'd been an, an investor with for many years. And being part of their team, being able to share this experience, you know, the lessons learned and, and help others understand the world of cash flow and, and passive income and, and syndications. That's awesome. Okay, thank you for that. I think that message can resonate with pretty much anyone that has a job that maybe they're, they're not fully passionate about or fully love uh, and, and do have that itch or pang for creating some streams of income or financial freedom. Um, I think that's something that most people do have. Uh, so, so for the listener out there right now who might be thinking of COVID-19 as an opportunity rather than a detractor or a negative, that they have this period of a couple months where they may have some extra time. Maybe they're sitting on some, some funds potentially, but uh, what's your advice for someone out there that's, that's maybe has a rental or two, maybe they're just looking to get started and they're considering, do I want to go active? Do I want to go passive? Um, I want to use this time as, as best I can to maybe change my trajectory. Um, what advice do you have for that person? Sure. Yeah. Good question. I'm asked all the time if, if, if I were to have to start over, go back to 2009, what would I do differently? Or would I have done single family or the flips and all that kind of stuff? The answer is, you know, you need some amount of capital to be a passive investor. And frankly, if I had put all of my money into passive deals on day one, it wouldn't have motivated me to keep going. It wouldn't have been enough cash flow to really, you know, keep, keep me rolling. So I think the first step is focus on income, focus on maybe equity, right? How are you going to get a nest egg built up? Maybe you already have one, but if you don't, you know, 
for me, I, I joined an oil field job, which was a high paying job. I didn't really want the job or, or like it, but it, it paid well. And then I was doing all these active things for equity at the end of the day. And I was living below my means, severely below my means for several years. And I was saving all that money so that I could put it into real estate. And at the time where I had built myself a, a lump sum that was substantial, I pushed that into passive investments where the cash flow actually had a major impact to the point where it actually replaced my job income. Um, so in other words, you know, $50 a month passive income, you know, day one or waiting several years till I could have, you know, say 5,000 a month passive income. That's where it actually had the impact. So I think it's just identifying it's self-reflection, you know, on what you should or shouldn't do. It's, and, and also it's what, what are your strengths? I, I talk about this all the time. Like the, the truth is I wasn't good at fix and flipping homes and managing vacation rentals and, and all this stuff. I guess you could say I was good at house hacking, right? I just had to place an ad and deal with somebody. But, <laughs> but you know, that took a lot of self-reflection. You know, you got to kind of let go of ego a little bit and think, you know, I, I, for me, I would rather piggyback off other people's success, people that have a track record and experience and just partner up with them, um, you know, like I did with, with Ashcroft Capital, for example. Such a good point. I, I think I'm glad you used the word ego and, and right alongside self-reflection because um, I, I think a lot of people that they're, I think it's better to want to do something than not and, and be ambitious and try to learn from people that are doing it. But I think to your point too often, a lot of times people just jump onto that idea of someone else's without really taking a self-analysis checklist of what am I good at and what can I do? Do, do I have the same skill set as this person or do I understand the inner workings? And I think a lot of people may grapple with the concept of having 100% of the whole pie and creeping along or having a smaller piece of something that is maybe fine-tuned and they are actually best in breed at what they're doing mm -hmm. and then make that decision. Because I'm sure you see it all the time. People may um, overestimate their ability to add value to a property. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, they, they may not know the difference between a value add property or buying a turnkey property and they want to do like a burn method or a value add, you know, multifamily, but mm -hmm. not really taking into account all the work that goes on behind the scenes to get that property stabilized and up to market and then either do a sale or a cash out refi. So were there any experiences specifically when you were scaling your single family business that really made you self-reflect and think about, I'm, I'm not as good as this as maybe I want to be, or it's too much time and effort that I, I'm, I'm spending too much time and energy on that I could probably just, you know, invest this somewhere else. Were there any specifics that come to mind or make you think about that? Yeah, the, the biggest thing for me was just time commitment. You know, I just didn't realize how much time is really dedicated in the single family space, even when I'm a property manager looking over my portfolio you're still at the end of the day having to make decisions, right? What do you want to do with the roof? Repair it, replace it. Uh, what about the HVAC system? It's getting older. How about that hot water tank? You know, and there's all these different things and then collecting your receipts and staying organized and building your own team and driving neighborhoods for properties. And it's hard and it's very competitive to find the deals. There's a lot of people out there wanting to do what you're wanting to do as well. And, and people with longer track record, more experience, more connections usually have the upper hand. So if you're just getting started with no mentors, no connections, no experience, it can be a lot harder than you might think. And, but ultimately what it comes down to, like I said, is your time value. For me, I had very little time to start with. 
And every year that went by, I had less and less and less as my properties required more and more and more. And I got to thinking, you know, I love real estate. If I want to stay in this business long term, if I want to do this for 30, 40, 50 years, I've got to find a scalable model. I've got to eventually be hands off anyway. Why not start focusing on that now and then kind of scale into it so that I'm not one day in my 60s or 70s going, I, I don't know what a syndication is. I don't really know how to do this. And now I'm taking bigger risks than I probably should be at that point. So that was kind of you know, my experience with, with single family and self-reflection. So you mentioned you were doing a lot of this on the side and it was a grind. You had the W2 in the oil fields and you were building this portfolio on the side. Did you have any specific, let's say, cash flow goals or goals that you wanted to achieve in your 20s or 30s before you felt like you could walk away from that job? I mean, there's, there's some conflicting belief on this. Some people say, don't walk away, keep the job. You can get more loans and it gives you a little bit of an umbrella and you, know, you can probably get smarter mm -hmm. with your time. And there's other people that say, burn the boats. But it sounds like your approach mm -hmm. is a little bit more in the middle of build something while you can and, and you can have this equity piece that then you can, you can direct to something else. But I mean, did you have specific goals that you felt like you needed to accomplish before you could be comfortable walking away from your job? That's a good question. And, and something else that, that I'm asked quite a bit, that, that's kind of funny. If you would have asked me in 2009 or 10 or even 11, kind of what are your goals? What are you after? What's the big picture here? I didn't have an answer for you. It would have been oh, I'm, make money. You know, why not? It, it seems like a good idea. But it wasn't until 2015, that was seriously my, my pivot moment where I just, I read 52 books that year. I listened to a tremendous amount of content, you know, leveraging other people, uh, you know, in the real estate world that were five, 10 years beyond where I was. And I really started to clarify, what is this all about? And to me, it came down to uh, options and flexibility. So I wanted to have the option to either A, retire early if I wanted to do that, or B, work part-time instead of full-time, or leave an industry I didn't like to pursue one that was fulfilling and rewarding. It, it was really about options. That's what I came up with. And that's what I kind of coined as, you know, time freedom. And um, so that became kind of my goal, my mission. And it wasn't until 2015, believe it or not, that I sat down on a sheet and I started saying, Okay, if I sold all my properties, I sold the house that I'm living in, I basically sold everything except my clothes and my car, uh, what's my net worth? And if I took that amount and I put it to work passively, what's that going to mean in terms of cash flow? And then what impact is that going to have on my life? And the impact was I could leave this job I don't like to pursue other work that's more meaningful. And so that was my, my, my why, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and, and that took me through several years. Now it's more around, you know, travel with my wife and, and more, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, starting our family and things like this. So it has a lot more to do with that now and having time and the ability to focus on that. But, but, but then it was all about the career. So. Yeah, that's really good. I like the way you think about it. The, the, the theme and idea I keep hearing you say, and it's, it's applicable to anyone that can really assess their goals is that time freedom. Or why do you want the quote unquote million dollar goal that you set up for? Mm -hmm. Does that align with anything you actually want in life, which might be a lot less than that, but it could enable you to live the lifestyle you want, which is really cool to hear how you went about it. 
it took a couple of years, it sounds like, from yeah. 09 to 2015, but it's it doesn't matter how it comes or when it comes, but just to realize that is the lifestyle you want and what do you actually need to do it? I, I haven't heard anyone say really specifically that if I take all of these liquid assets and convert them into something that'll just produce passively from an LP standpoint, what is that going to be? So it's cool and it's interesting to think about. So I guess my, the natural next question for anyone listening, myself too, is how did you go about finding or thinking about picking a syndication to invest in and getting around the right people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made some mistakes. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, I, I felt like for some reason it would be important to partner with somebody local to me that was doing syndication. I don't know why I felt that way. But uh, so I, you know, I did a, my first deal was with a group that was just a few miles away from my home where I could meet face to face with them. I felt comfortable with them. But what I failed to do was to truly vet the operator, to truly vet the team and to, to be a realist and say, can this team actually execute this business plan based on track record experience? Have they done it before? You know, consistency of business model. There's a lot of this criteria that I look at nowadays that I certainly didn't back then. So I'm looking at a pro forma, which is projected returns on a project. And I'm like, wow, you know, these seem like killer numbers. This is great. So I just invest. And then later to find out that they really couldn't execute that business plan uh, I did end up profitable in that particular deal, but <laughs> to no help of the operator, they bought a, a good property at a good price in, in the right market at the right time. And the market kind of bailed us out uh, mostly is what happened. And so now I, I spend a lot of time vetting the sponsor and the syndicator group. That's kind of my number one thing that I do, matching up my criteria to theirs, making sure I get along with them, you know, the background check, all that kind of stuff. Two would be vetting the market, uh, just out of personal experience, like I shared that uh, the deal where the operator failed, but the market was strong and kind of carried us along. That's number two. And number three is the actual deal. So I kind of had that backwards when I first got started. And for anybody listening that, that may not want to do syndications for whatever reason, which is totally fine, the concept here is to find passive income investments. That's, you know, one option is a syndication. There's also publicly traded REITs. There's also first lien notes. There's also, you know, self-storage, ATM investing. There's all these things you can do out there in the world. But the concept is to build up uh, diversified passive income streams to then hopefully one day replace uh, your income so that you can have more freedom and flexibility over what you do with your time. Makes total sense. So, Hearing you say that, it sounds like you went with someone just a little bit based on proximity and you took a first step mm -hmm. um, and learned a lot, a lot along the way. Um, and, and I like those, those three concepts and principles as far as the people, the market, and the deal. Um, for someone that's maybe at a standstill today, they, they've never done this. This is the first time they're hearing the S word. They're hearing syndication <laughs> for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they're just, okay, it's, it's interesting to them to put some of their money to work and be investing in real estate. Um, what, what tactical steps can they do today? Websites can they jump on, people they can reach out to, ways to tangibly start getting educated and decide which avenue they want to take or what steps to take? Sure. The two things first to kind of recognize or, or point out. One is we'll talk a little bit about accreditation. So there's a big myth that, all syndication deals out there for accredited investors only, high net worth, high income, not true. 
So the majority of the deals out there are done under a 506B offering, B as in boy, where if the sponsor syndicator chooses to, they can allow up to 35 sophisticated investors into their offering with a pre-existing relationship where they've kind of discussed their risk tolerance and their goals and made sure this type of investment is appropriate. Uh, so you can actually be non-accredited, but sophisticated, meaning you understand the deal, the risks, the ins, the outs, the illiquidity uh, you know, of the deal. Uh, so there's a wide array of those groups, but you do have to get out there and network, get on bigger pockets, you know, go to Google. You have to connect with these folks. You have to opt in on their websites. You have to get on the phone with them and you have to connect. Uh, there's also regulation A, kind of a newer concept in the syndication world. Mostly it's funds um, where they can take an unlimited amount of sophisticated investors that may not be accredited. Uh, that's an option too. As we mentioned, publicly traded REITs, real estate investment trust, that's an option for non-accredited folks. So there's a lot of different things you can do out there uh, in the world. Now, when it comes to 506C offerings, C as in Charlie, that's what Ashcroft Capital does. So it's accredited investors only. And to define that, it's a million dollar net worth, whether you're single or married, excluding your primary residence and any equity you have there. And or you can qualify under income, 200,000 a year for an individual for the last two years with expectations of meeting the same income or higher in the current year. And for a married couple, it's 300,000 with the same criteria there. So uh, if, if that matches your model, then the whole world opens in the syndication space to where you can participate in nearly anything and everything. Um, and those deals, by the way, can be publicly advertised. So they're easier to find, but unfortunately a lot of people don't qualify to be able to invest in them. So it's, it's that kind of thing. So at the end of the day, to answer your question, um, for me anyway, it's networking. Uh, leading up to COVID, I was going around nationwide to conferences, just one after the next, multifamily, real estate summits, all this kind of stuff, just networking with investors and meeting people and, and picking people's brains. As much as I'm sharing with people, I'm also trying to get content you know, for myself. You know, Have you worked with these groups? What's your experience been? And you just kind of get to know after a while who the key players are in the space. The other thing you can do is find a mentor, someone who's doing it currently. I mean, I guess I would be considered one too, uh, but I've got people in my network 10, 15 years beyond where I am, and I'm always picking their brain. You know, who do you know in, in this sector that's that's done well that you've worked with? So it's it's a people business. It's a relationship business. Okay, there's a lot there. I was just jotting <laughs> down a couple notes, uh, just trying to think about which way to jump in first. Um, okay, I think... I think the, the one place I don't want to get too far past before we move on from this, as far as just maybe deciding or which route to take for someone that's listening of uh, how to decide, but then how to find an option within. Um, there may be a lot of listeners here that they being millennials or, or builders of their, let's say equity, that egg that you talked about a little on the front side. Yeah. They're trying to decide the best way to get into syndication. Maybe they, they do see the benefits in limited partner investing, but maybe they have aspirations of creating a syndication. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to see if maybe we can tie this into the mentorship component or just maybe best ways to then get into syndicating or deciding which route. So yeah. um, I've heard people talk about on this podcast and just syndicator friends of mine, you know, you can get in it many different ways, but I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Do you think, do you have a preference on how you recommend someone 
maybe get started if they want to become a syndicator as far as should they invest in a syndication first? Should they try to find a mentor first? Should they try to build and scale a small portfolio first to then get some experience? Mm-hmm. Um, couple of different routes you could take. I'm curious if you have a preference or, or one that you think is. Yeah, good question. So everybody learns in different ways, obviously. Uh, I'm the kind of person that finds tremendous value out of books because usually you're, you're taking someone who spent 20, 30, 40 years on a subject and just dump their knowledge into a book and it's 20 bucks. There's no better value than that if you're willing to read and then take action on that information. But I know a lot of people don't read. That's not really their thing. And I get it. So there's a ton of coaching and mentoring programs out there. Obviously, you're going to pay a whole lot more than 20 bucks for that. Some are tens of thousands, you know, up to $100,000 for like one-on-one coaching. So it could be anywhere in between. Um, A lot of people take that route because as you have practical real life questions that pop up, you have somebody to resort to and say, what would you do in this situation? What should I do here? And that can be tremendously helpful when you just have a book, you're kind of stranded, right? You, you have to kind of leverage other people in the network then to, to figure this stuff out. Um, and then some people like to get started as a limited partner like I do. And, and they're kind of learning by seeing. They're seeing monthly reports come in and their distributions. They're calling up the syndicator from time to time to ask questions. Why is it this? And why did you guys decide to do that? And how does this work? What do these numbers mean? And over time, a year or two or three, you've got quite a bit of information for free uh, on top of having an investment that's been paying you. So that's a really nice uh, approach there. You kind of gather what you like and what you don't like and what you do differently. And then you branch out to become a general partner uh, on your own. So uh, I don't, have a recommendation for anyone specifically. It just depends how you learn. Um, I would go the book route and slash be a limited partner. That's what I would do. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to learn. So, yeah, absolutely. And so much good content out there. I mean, the first book that got me started down this path was Joe's book. Yeah. And I've highlighted that I have to buy a new one at this point because I've highlighted and it's torn up at this point, but I've also (laughs) gifted that book so much because it's, yeah. it's a handbook. It's, it's, it's more like a textbook in the best way possible than a fluffy. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I read a lot myself and the first 30% of most books, I just feel like I could rip off and start on, you know, whatever. Yeah. But with that book, everything is tactical from the beginning. And to your point, you can pick up things and then apply them. And then, you know, you have workarounds to finding relationships. I can answer questions, but within a book, you are a little bit stranded sometimes when you have a question and you can't bounce mm-hmm. it off someone immediately, but that makes total sense. So I just want to touch on one thing you said there. Um, I'm curious what your opinion is going to be, because I, I do think if people have the means, a great way to get started in learning about structure and operations of a syndication is to invest in one if they can, or they can afford it, or maybe their relationship with the, the general partners. Um, what do you think is an appropriate relationship between an LP and a GP as far as someone that's maybe coming in and investing, but they also do want to learn a little bit about the business. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'd say, I bet you'd agree with this that most general partners, you know, they, they are not looking at this, like you're, I'm taking your money for a mentorship. You can right. ask questions and we can have a relationship, right. but you know, there are just mm-hmm. general terms and guidelines that people stay within. So I'm curious to hear your opinion on that. 
Sure. Yeah. Good question. And, and exactly. That's the point is this is a relationship that you're going to be in for maybe five years, seven years, you know, who knows, depends on the business plan. So you certainly don't want to, you know, ruin that relationship by, you know, being the person who calls three times a week to ask questions. Um, the best time to ask the majority of your questions is during the due diligence phase before you're actually investing or kind of during that time of making the decision on the deal, because that's what happens. That's the norm is you've got investor, you've got thousands of investors and everyone's got these questions. What about this? And have you thought of that? And what does this mean? And I don't understand that. So ask a ton up front. And then I would say, just, just space it out. You know, maybe, you know, you get a quarterly update and you're looking through the financials, write down like five questions and either email them or, or make a phone call and then lay off a little bit, you know, give it a month or two. And, and you may have more questions in the interim, but just save them. And so, you know, you're just trying to be reasonable and respectful uh, of people. Obviously, the more you invest, you know, the, the more likely, you know, it would be okay to ask more and more questions, right? So if you're doing a minimum investment, just be cautious of, of people's time and respectful. But, uh, but a lot of people do this, I, I can tell you that. <laughs> a lot of people are LPs for the sake of learning and you're gonna get a ton of knowledge passively anyway, just through the data and the reporting and the, the regular communications through, through the group. And, you know, I've invested with 14 different groups uh, in the space. And so you get a wide array that way of, you know, I, I do not like what this group does. I love this report this group makes. I love having video and this group doesn't do it. So you, you get to kind of build what, what you would do per se over time, but that's a little more of a commitment to make those kinds of investments, but uh, it might be an option for you. I don't know. Sure. And, and I've, I've often heard a position that if someone is considering paying 50,000 and again, having the self-awareness to realize that, that by committing as an LP investor, you're, you're, the, the general partners can typically raise the money from an assortment of ways and they, they probably will raise the money. So it's not like you're doing them this favor by investing, but uh, it's a small value add and it does start a relationship and then it can definitely turn into years and years after that. But um, I, I'd love to dig into it just for a sec that you mentioned it. Some of the benefits or learnings that someone can pick up as a limited partner and you know what you'd say is an acceptable kind of cadence. I mean, you kind of talked about that a little bit, but just some of the benefits and learnings that they can come away with after, you know, maybe starting their uh, learnings as a limited partner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think what you're going to take away is the type of communication. So something that I look for and my wife look for in our investing is monthly distributions and monthly reporting because it gives us more frequency. It's not overkill. It's not like we're hearing every single week from somebody about a deal that we're trying to be passive on <laughs> and it's becoming active now because we got to pay attention 24 <laughs> seven. But uh, also I don't like necessarily the quarterly, like when you only hear from a syndicator one time in three or four months, I'm not a big fan of that either. So uh, what you're going to see is just the professionalism, the type of communication. Are they being proactive with you? Are they being transparent with you? Are they saying not just the good, 
our occupancy is really high. Everything's great, but also the bad, you know, we had a fire in one of the units and we had to make an insurance claim and just want to make you aware this is kind of how that's going to pan out and, and work and we'll keep you posted. Uh, you're looking for all that kind of stuff. You know, there was <clears throat> not too long ago, a, um, uh, tornado came through Dallas, Fort Worth. I have a lot of properties out there and through, through many different groups. And I love to see the proactiveness. As soon as that tornado was finished, it's like email sent. Hey, our property, you know, we just called over to the property managers. We're all good. It's safe. We were unaffected. Just wanted to put you at ease and let you know that. That's great, right? I don't want to wait four months to find that out. And then, oh yeah, four months ago, our, our property got hit and destroyed, just so you know. Um, so... Mm -hmm. Anyway, so yeah, the, all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's tangible stuff, and yeah. I think that's just you can you can really get a sense of like the operations of the business, the communication style, and that's just such a good point there. Just to call out as a general business best practice is, if there is a negative and you have investors, making them aware early or often is is probably a best practice instead of a surprise that you try to kind of sweep under the rug and yeah. get caught with later on um, business or syndicating or real estate, whatever. It seems like that's something you appreciate uh, in the syndicators that you've got relationships with. So, yeah, the model is, it's, it's all built around trust. You know, you got to remember that at the end of the day, again, back to earlier in our conversation, you're really vetting and, and betting on a team, on a group of people. You're saying, here's $50,000 please do the best you can. Please make the right decisions on behalf of me. <laughs> and, and I'm trusting you with this money to pull it off. That's what it's about, right? So if someone's being shady and not wanting to tell you the bad news and all that, that's, you know, that gives you kind of a, a sinking feeling in your gut, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a whole other conversation we can get into <laughs> just the people part of it. Um, right. But in, in today's day and age with technology, um, it's, it's as easy as ever, I think, to, to get an idea of someone's reputation, their brand, based on the content they create. Um, that, that's one that, you know, I'm curious, just actually now that I'm, that I'm saying it, um, of the 14 that you've invested in, um, is there any source that you can pin of like what led to more of those than others, if it was referral based or mm -hmm. um, you just seen content created from that person uh, or they, are they kind of themed by any way? Yeah, uh, two, two things really. The first thing is it's important to not only identify your goals as we talked about earlier, but identify your criteria and why that is. So, you know, I like value add properties in particular states of a particular unit type with monthly distributions. And, you know, I've identified all this criteria for specific reasons that are applicable to me. First thing is finding a group that aligns with your criteria, right? So that's going to go a long way in itself. Number two is when I first invest with a new group, I usually just do the minimum investment because I'm kind of going to sit back and test the waters. And if it goes as planned and like I thought and hoped, I'll do more deals with that group. But if I start seeing that they drop the ball and they're not responding to my emails or my phone calls and, you know, things are, like you said, getting swept under the rug, then I'm done. And all I've got is a minimum investment there and hopefully it works out and, you know, I, I move on from there. Um, Word of mouth referrals is my favorite source. And a lot of people ask the sponsor for referrals. I don't usually do that because of course they're gonna give you their three or four raging fans. Um, 
which is fine, but you know, it's a little biased too. So what, you know, again, unique experience here, but going to all these conferences and real estate meetups and all of this, I get the opportunity to network with people and ask who they're investing with and, and whether that's positive or negative completely in an organic type of conversation. And as I start hearing a group, ABC group has done exceptional. And then I go to a different concert, ABC group I've been investing with. Hmm. And so I'm kind of doing my due diligence all along. And that usually leads to me doing an investment with them. Um, additionally, if you're not the type of person to travel nationwide and do conferences is like bigger pockets, you can post on there, hey, I'm thinking about doing a syndication. Does anyone, you know, have any recommendations or has anyone worked with this group or that group? And, you know, you can get kind of some feedback that way, usually on private messages and connecting with folks um, digitally. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and just before we tie off there, uh, just on the digital front, mm -hmm. um, I, I've heard Joe talk about it, even just even your, your style and the content that you create. Um, and from a lot of syndicator friends of mine and just investors in general, um, creating content to, to build, I'd say, a wider net of relationships. I mean, you probably get it all the time that people feel like they know you before they meet you or other people that are syndicators, you know, putting out a lot of content, audio, video, written. And yeah. by the time they get on the first call with a potential investor, there is a little bit of um, a relationship already started, I guess you could say. Is that something that it, why you do what you do or advise other people to do as well starting out? Uh, the main reason, to be honest with you, is that I just have a passion for sharing experience and what's worked for me. And of course, I think naturally when, when something happens to you, no matter what that is, that's very impactful and beneficial, you want the world to know about it, right? And so I've been doing this for years and years before Ashcroft and everything else. But more recently, uh, since COVID and the lockdown and the lack of conferences to attend, I've had a little more time on my hands. So I've been doing way more blogging and video content and all this kind of stuff. But uh, a lot of people, your listeners may be familiar, there's a triangle about like, know, and trust and which is most important. And to your point, it's knowing somebody. If somebody doesn't know you, how can they like you? How can they trust you? So yeah, I mean, a great way to do it in today's digital age is through videos and blogs and interviews and podcasts to where people can get a wide assortment of who these operators are, not that I'm an operator or syndicator, but um, you know, I'm just a passive investor sharing experience. So anyone, you know, I get mostly calls week to week set up with me, people that resonate in some way with my story. You know, I have this W2 I want to leave or, you know, I'm, I'm in the fire movement and I want to learn syndication, stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's cool to get you know, that type of feedback week to week, you know, I, I just stumbled across your blog on bigger pockets and it's been a huge impact to me. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. And it's to your point, like the message can just reach further. Yeah. Uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations are awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I love having them as much as anyone and I'm sure you do too. And, and you do take time to do that, but um, I'm sure you, you have a further reach with digital and videos if someone can see a clip or an interview and then it can impact them. Um, that's just a really cool thing. And, you know, it's like, I, I heard someone say it really well. I hadn't heard it put before it was just regarding networking, but, um, in a lot of the, this part of the businesses, it's great to know a lot of people, but it's really great for a lot of people to know you also that, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little more scalable that way. And, you know, that way your message can reach the greater good. So, you know, you're doing a great job of that and just, you know, following your content more. I know it's a little bit 
drummed up from COVID, but you know, I hope yeah. it's thick and you know, it's relating with people. So it's, it's just really cool. Yeah. That's um, good to hear. Thanks. So just transitioning a little bit into your actual day to day now, um, as far as your, your current role with Ashcroft and then just mm-hmm. your day to day lifestyle, can you bring us up to speed on what that looks like? And you know, maybe it, what your, what your day looks like? Sure. Yeah. And how this all came about, by the way, was again, back to kind of the time freedom thing. I had left a career I didn't like to pursue things I wanted to learn from. The first thing I did actually is I went to go work for a brokerage firm to learn stocks, bonds, mutual funds, right? And I just, I wanted a, a more well-rounded perspective of the world of finance is what happened. But I quickly fell out of love with that business model. So I left that to go work for syndication groups to learn acquisitions, underwriting. And I felt like if I'm going to be investing in this potentially for decades, I better know a little bit about it. And and back to how we all learn differently. I wanted to be kind of more hands-on visual and see it from the inside. And so I had one of the groups I had been investing with was uh, Ashcroft Capital for many years. And uh, the way it came to be was I was kind of at a crossroads. I didn't know what my next move was going to be or, or what I wanted to pursue, but I knew I loved working with their group. They just were in great alignment, great relationship, all that kind of stuff. So I, it was like a Saturday morning and I pull out my phone and, and I, <laughs> I shot a little selfie video for Joe Fairless. And I said, Hey Joe, it's Travis, you know, one of your, uh, one of your investors and just wanted to compliment you guys on A, B, C, and D. I love what you're doing. It's different than a lot of other groups. Here's why, here's my experience with that. And I said, if I can work for you guys and Ashcroft in any capacity, <laughs> I would love that opportunity. And here's my skill set, my background, and kind of where I'm at. And I sent that to him. And uh, it was like an hour or two later, he texts back, thanks so much for that video. Very thoughtful. Uh, we don't have anything for you at the time, unfortunately. <laughs> so I was all, you know, devastated by that. And about two months after that, he circles back by e- email and he says, Travis, I remember that video you sent me and we're opening up an investor relations position. It has a lot to do with travel and conferences and speaking and all these different things you might be interested. So I, you know, it was a hundred percent what I was wanting to do and I was still kind of at that crossroads. So I jumped on it and ended up getting the, the position. So I'm director of investor relations and I'm kind of an external investor relations. A lot of people think, you know, maybe I'm working with the existing investors and on the internal side. We actually have uh, Evan Pulaski. He's our uh, investor relations internally along with Joe. So they're kind of handling that. I'm kind of more the external. So I go to a bunch of conferences and meetups and, and seminars. I'm usually a speaker or a panelist or you'll see me at the Ashcroft Capital booth if you have questions about syndications or, or how all this stuff works. And that's kind of what I do. So I'm out there building relationships with um, new investors, basically, uh, in the Mm -hmm. space. So that's what I do. Uh, That was my week to week uh, (laughs) until lockdown. And now I'm on these digital conferences, right? Just (laughs) trying to wave to people on a webcam. So, (laughs) Okay, got it. That makes total sense. And uh, that that I I think that's good to clear up for some people a difference because just the title or the name, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, not exactly sure. And just getting into this, but it makes sense. I mean, you, you have the personality for it. You have, you're charismatic enough to, to do this very well, obviously, but it just the, the skill, the business of just relationships and meeting people and then, you know, external stuff. 
Um, yeah. I actually didn't even know that there would be maybe in, in the syndication a setup for both. So that's cool to hear. And that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's not yeah. the norm, but, but it's out there. Yeah. And even just one other point to, to touch on. Um, I love that approach that you just recorded a selfie and just said it and did it at the time. And the two month thing is a little interesting. I wasn't sure where the story was going to go. If he texted right back and was like, wow, this is exactly what we need right uh, now. Yeah. I wish, um, yeah. you know, but it, it worked out, but I guess the moral of that story and um, like, that's, I, I can totally resonate with that. Not for, we don't have to go into it, you know, on this platform, the listeners know just how I got my start in, in my, my main business and then the real estate stuff. It's kind of just that approach to take action and do a lot. And a lot of these people, what I found, even how I found my first mentor, who is someone that I never thought I'd get connected with, um, wasn't getting reached out to as much as I thought because he was that guy. And everyone had that perception yeah. that he's probably blown up, you know, this, that, yeah. or the other. But it's yeah. just crazy in our head what we talk ourselves out of when, why, why do we do that? I mean, I'm curious, like when, when you were thinking about doing that, that, that day, was it something you just picked up and did? Did you have any, any background, you know, context or what I'm going to say, or you're just like, you know what, I want to do this today. <laughs> I think I, so I'm a, I, I'm huge into like Tony Robbins and, you know, mindset and just, just give it a shot and just try and take action and all that kind of stuff. And I think I was probably either, I just listened to something like that recently. And I was just at one of those moments where it's like, you know, if you really want something, just go put yourself out there. It's not that you're necessarily going to get it, but it could lead to something else. And that's kind of what happened. I it didn't get it. And it was like, ah, oh, you know, the stuff doesn't work, you know, and then two <laughs> months later, it's like, oh, well, maybe it does work, you know? And yeah, it's just, just go for it. You know, whatever your goals are, seriously, just, just take a step in that direction, you know, and even if you're not getting that exact uh, result in the time frame you hope for, there could be things along the road that kind of branch other directions. And that was kind of my experience with that and many other things too. All right. That's awesome, Travis. Just for the sake of time, cool. If we move to the show, wind down some rapid fire questions. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Um, well, you talked a little bit about Tony and your networking style and then just, I guess, your content intake. But um, some of these questions, uh, I guess, focus on, on all that. Uh, but the first one is, uh, the people you surround yourself with, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little different now with COVID that it's harder to get out and create relationships in person. But um, how do you look at your top five or um, mm -hmm. any mastermind groups you're a part of, any coaching programs, anything like that, 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 you, uh, that you're part of? Sure. Yeah. Another <clears throat> misconception is that a mentor has to be somebody alive today that you meet with face to face. It doesn't have to be. Mentors can be from books, you know, they can be from, you know, YouTube, they can be from, from anywhere. Uh, but having mentors is critically important. So even with COVID and lockdowns, we have Zoom calls, we have FaceTime, we have a regular phone, we have email uh, to ask questions, to network. And, and the whole concept here is either, you're gonna have to either A, pay for mentorship, join programs and pay someone for their time, or you're going to have to add value to that individual in some capacity in exchange for knowledge. I've done mostly that method, but it kind of depends on, on you and what you can bring to the table. Um, I have people that reach out like every two or three weeks. Can I work for you for free, you know, for maybe three months and I'll run your, your Instagram or something, you know, stuff like that in exchange for some guidance or whatnot. Um, 
So having mentors is, is critically important. And, and to your point, your top five, you know, the, the common saying, you're, you're kind of like the top people you surround yourself with. I believe that to an extent. Um, but again, it could be surrounding yourself with books. You know, it doesn't have to be surrounding yourself with literally the human beings that are in close proximity to you. Um, cause that's the part I kind of disagree with, with that saying, but all in all, yes, you want to surround yourself with like-minded individuals that are at or above your success level in many ways, but not forgetting to give back to those kind of slightly below where you're at to help bring them up to, to the level as well. That's really good. I'm glad you said that. And especially the last part, if you're going to do one, then definitely try to give back and do the other. Um, any system or time management tools you use to plan your, your weeks, your days, just to make sure you're, you're staying focused on high impact tasks? I just pretty simple Google calendar and I use Calendly, which has been extremely groundbreakingly effective for me. <laughs> so week to week, I just have an open Calendly for whoever on whatever, if anyone wants to talk real estate, house hacking, fix and flip syndication, whatever, anything we talk about here, uh, they can connect on 15 minute calls and those get automatically set on my calendar. And I just kind of work my schedule around that. Okay. That's perfect. And we'll, we'll put that out. Obviously that's really cool that you do that. Um, education, big topic, obviously in the space, personal development and uh, real estate, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. Any, any favorite ways to stay educated and specific people on those platforms that you recommend? Well, we're in the digital age and embrace it. You know, there's some great platforms out there. I mean, literally all the education's out there for free. That's kind of the, the truth right there. It's just seeking it out and how to find it, right? Because there's so much information and there's a lot of bad information. So it's trying to figure out what's the good information. But all in all, if, if you want to hustle, <laughs> it's free. And so get on bigger pockets and, and network, listen to podcasts. All this stuff is free. So uh, it, it's really more to me about willpower, self-discipline and hustle. It's just, if you want it, you can get it. It's free, but it's going to take some time and some commitment on your part. So leverage that stuff, find a mentor too, or a coach or something. Absolutely. Love that answer. Uh, what's next for you? 2020 and beyond. Man, 2020. I just hope that we open this year. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> my wife and I are going to get back to travel. We've been looking at, you know, for, for a while now, uh, we had to cancel a couple international trips. So, uh, looking forward to that. That's our other passion, uh, passion to educate people on, you know, passive income, passive investing syndications. Also it's world travel. So, uh, hopefully we'll end up in, you know, Bali and Costa Rica coming up in, in 2020. We'll see what else hits the radar, but, um, looking forward to conferences too. I miss them. I miss them so much. These online conferences are not doing it justice. <laughs> so the networking aspect, you know, that's yeah. to me the, the critical part. So um, I'll be back in, in, in the, uh, the ring of, uh, of conferences, hopefully 2021. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, the education part's always there, but you know, it's between sessions that the magic happens, right. You know, yeah, and, and it is. getting with people. So we'll see if that uh, comes back. Um, where can people learn more about you? What's the best way for people to connect and follow your journey? Sure. Yeah. Well, multitude of ways. I've got uh, passive investor tips on Instagram and Facebook. That's one way. If you want to connect on the 15 minute call, you can go to ashcroftcapital.com forward slash connect with Travis. You can just set up your call right there. 
I'm on, you know, I've got blogs on, on LinkedIn and, and bigger pockets and, you know, so I'm out there on social. So connect in any way that works for you. And I'm just happy to be a resource, even if it's, hey, what are your top three books or <laughs> where can I get started with learning more about A, B, C, or D? I'm happy to point you in the right direction or answer any questions that uh, may not have made complete sense on this podcast, uh, anything in between. So reach out. Okay, perfect. And last question of the show uh, has to do with value add. And we talked about it a little today and it's, it's very uh, common and popular topic for finding a mentor, getting around the right people. Uh, are there any favorite ways that, that you see people adding value or anything that someone could do right now if they wanted to reach out and try to add value in your life right now? Yeah. So the best way that I get value is I'm always looking for uh, experienced investors to share with me their experience with various operators or groups or platforms or things like that. The, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. I get a lot of value that way. Sometimes uh, I can kind of do the the free mentorship thing in exchange for like some tasks that I have going on and I don't have time to get to sometimes. Uh, so I'm not really promoting that, but if that's something of interest, you know, happy to do that as well. Um, but the main thing is that I'm a full-time passive investor and I'm always looking to, to place additional capital. So having those connections, those word of mouth references, be happy to connect and discuss that more. All right. Awesome. Travis, that was a great answer. And, uh, I learned a lot just speaking with you for this short session, but, uh, learned a lot. I was jotting down a lot of notes. So I just want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for what you do in the communities and just as far as educating uh, people of all walks in real estate and how they can achieve financial freedom. So thank you uh, for doing that. Anything, uh, parting word or last comment before we tie off? I guess just get started in some way, whether it's just order a book you've been wanting to read or reach out to the mentor that maybe you think you can get a hold of or you can't. You may be surprised. Um, just take some amount of action to get a little bit of momentum moving in the right direction. Simultaneously, write down your goals and self-reflect a little bit and get to know yourself. Love it. All right. Awesome. Travis, thank you so much again. Best of luck in 2020 and beyond. All right. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.